Welcome to the sermon podcast of Faith Lutheran Church in Oregon, Wisconsin, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ crucified and the promises of God that our faith clings to. For more information, visit us online at faithlutheranoregon.com. First Sunday in Lent, we hear of the temptation of our Lord in the wilderness. So today, then, is a day to focus on temptation, what temptation is, what it means to be tempted by the devil. I think when we talk about resisting the devil or being tempted by the devil, I think too often we make the devil, uh, well, too abstract. Uh, We we mistakenly make him out to be, uh, well, kind of like God. Uh, knowing everything, being everywhere, and being very powerful. And, and then as an abstract concept, then because we think he's everywhere, well, then he's really nowhere, at least certainly not by me. And then on the other hand, we also talk about overcoming our, our personal demons, and, and we almost make the devil into a, a self-improvement project. Uh, but the devil is no self-improvement project, and the devil is very, very real and very dangerous. His goal is to enslave as many of God's people as he can and drag them to hell along with him. And that includes you and me. Uh, Martin Luther once remarked that the world is like a drunken peasant. If you lift him up onto the saddle uh, 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 of the horse on one side, he'll fall off on the other side. One can't help him no matter how much he tries. He wants to be the devil's. You can picture that illustration, somewhat humorous, of of a man so drunk that he can't even stay uh, on the horse. He'll fall off on one side or the other. Uh, But in falling off, he gives himself over to the devil without even a try or or putting up any resistance or fight whatsoever. He He just falls off. Luther says that he wants to be the devil's. That's a scary thought of resigning yourself over to the devil. Now notice, though, Luther keenly says it's not just a few especially wicked or careless people, careless sinners out there who are like this drunken peasant who wants to be the devil's. No, he says the world. And, well, last I checked, I'm a part of the world. Uh, Luther actually puts a test in the catechism to Uh, that you can do to see if you're a part of the world, to make sure you're still in the world. And he said it's to to look around. That's it. If if you can look around and see that you're still in the world, well, you're still in the world. You're a part of the world. And so he says that you will certainly then have the devil about you, who with his lying and murdering will let you have no peace within or without day or night. And we do fall off the horse on one of two sides. Either we fall off on the one side and we ascribe too much power to the devil. We equate him as being equal with God, someone uh, against whom we have no choice against. And whatever happens is just going to happen. And whatever sin is in front of me, it's not even worth putting up a fight against. Or we we fall off on the other side and we don't ascribe too much power to the devil. Uh, we don't think he's a danger to us. Uh, we, you know, we think of him like the old Disney cartoons of the little uh, red guy in tights uh, on our shoulders. And so we carelessly go on with our lives and rarely, if ever, considering the causes of temptation. Right? That is, we never stop to think, why, why does this particular sin tempt me? Uh, and, and we never 
also consider the results of our sin, how it hurts other people, or, or, or the final result of our sin, uh, which is eternal damnation. C.S. Lewis actually parodied this powerless comic devil in his book, The Screwtape Letters. In his book, a senior devil uh, says this while he's instructing a junior devil. It says, the fact that devils are predominantly comic figures in modern imagination will help you. If any faint suspicion of your existence begins to arise in his mind, suggest to him a picture of something in red tights and persuade him that since he cannot believe in that, he therefore cannot believe in you. Do we believe in the devil? The devil is very real. And again, he works not abstractly, but he works through temptation, very real temptation. Every little sin that you are tempted to do is ultimately of the devil. And left unchecked, those sins will drag you down to hell along with the devil. And so for this reason, St. Peter says, be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Don't casually, carelessly, or drunkenly get on and then fall off the horse. Watch and pray so that you do not fall into temptation. The devil's toolbox, by the way, includes uh, two methods or two means of attack. Deception and accusation. In fact, that's where he gets his names. The name devil means deceiver, and the name Satan means accuser. In our gospel lesson, we see the devil in action as deceiver. We see how he works. Three times to Jesus, the devil suggests a, a more pleasant thing than what God has given. There's always a lie. First, he does it with food. He says, look at you, you're starving. Command those stones, these stones become bread. Next, he does it by challenging Jesus' name. If you are the Son of God, if you are who you say you are, the angels will come and save you. Throw yourself down. And finally, he does it by promising the world without a cross. Bow down to me and, and I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. All this could, could be over. But every single one was a lie, a deception. And so now, we, now lest we fall off the horse and, and attribute too much power to the devil here, uh, know that the devil is not omniscient. He does not know everything. But he's not dumb either. He's a strategist. He, he pays attention. He pays attention to weak points so that he knows where to attack. Apart from the crucifixion, Jesus is here at his weakest point in his life, at least physically and mentally. Chronologically, Jesus has just been baptized, and he carries the strength and treasure of his baptism with him in the wilderness to be tempted. But Jesus is there for 40 days and 40 nights. Uh, but of those 40 days, we, we have only three recorded attacks. Why only three? Well, I think the devil was watching for a weakness, uh, waiting for the right moment to attack. And he, if he does that against Jesus, if he, if he studies Jesus, he, he's going to do that to you and I too. But know also that the devil is not omnipresent. 
That is, he is not present everywhere at all times, like God is. He can't be. Uh, the devil is not God. But again, he's a strategist. He, if he knows certain things, if he knows that every night you go to bed, and before you go to bed, you, you get out your phone, maybe he's going to suggest to you to, to look at some things that you shouldn't or, or to do something that you shouldn't. Uh, he says, hide something. No one, no one will know. And then after he's deceived you, well, that's when the accuser comes out. After you've fallen off the horse in temptation, he will accuse you during the night. He'll remind you of your sin, letting you have no peace within, and night after night, letting you awake, lie awake in despair over everything that you've left undone. And then, when you awake, because of the guilt that now lies heavy on you, he attacks you again with deception. He tempts you with food and drink, with your reputation and with glory. He suggests you all sorts of ways to relieve that guilt. So many vices that he promises will, will help numb the pain. This will solve your problems. And along with all those vices, he gets you to stay away from God, or at least away from God's representatives, those who carry God's word. The devil does not want you anywhere near the church or Christians because, because in the church he knows that here you're going to hear that your sins are forgiven. And with a single word of forgiveness, the devil is overcome. And there you see the devil is finally not omnipotent. He's not all-powerful. Luther says in a mighty fortress... One little word can fell him. Well, now the devil gets to fall off the horse. You get to push him off with one little word, with the word of Jesus. Jesus' forgiveness that is yours in baptism. Jesus' forgiveness that is declared to you by his word in absolution. Jesus' forgiveness that is tasted by you and put on your lips because man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That word that proceeds from the mouth of God, you hear because it's spoken every week. As a called and ordained servant of Christ, and by his authority, I forgive you all your sins in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. That word of God that you hear from me, the word of forgiveness that you hear from any Christian, comes directly from God. It is the antidote to sin, the balm for guilt, and the only weapon which the devil fears and from which the devil hides and runs. When the word of forgiveness is applied to you, the deception of the devil that you have fallen into, into, into whatever your sin, your sin is laid bare and it's absolved. It's absolutely gone. The accusation of Satan, your guilt that, that he tried to use to keep you in despair, in, in shame, and in vice, is broken. Jesus is your proof. Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness to be made like you in every way, to be tempted like you in every weakness, and yet to overcome. So that as Hebrews says, he might be a merciful and faithful high priest before God to reconcile the sins of the people. For in that he suffered and was tempted, 
He is able to help those who are tempted. Christ is your help in temptation, the one upon whom you can call, the one whom you can invoke. He is your high priest who is atoned for your sin and who strengthens you by his fasting and his weakness so that you now can overcome the devil's temptation. One more note on the devil and temptation. Our text began, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He's led by the Spirit into the wilderness. The devil cannot do anything that God does not allow him to do. And sometimes we think uh, things happen that are, that are purely a result of the devil and, and totally outside of God's control, right? Maybe a tornado or a pandemic or something like that, something evil. But that's not true. The devil is a dragon, a powerful dragon, yes, but he is a dragon who is who's chained, who has wings clipped. Uh, but rather, what Jesus, being led by the Spirit in the wilderness, shows is that all tribulation, all adversity, all persecution, trial, affliction, sickness, cross, and suffering come from God. They come from God and are laid on you and I, not for our ruin, but to bring us to call upon God in times of need. As the psalm says, call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you will glorify me. God does not lead us into temptation. But God does make the way of escape. God is faithful who will not let you be tempted above your capacity, but causes the temptation to end so we may be able to bear it. At the end of Jesus' temptation, the holy angels came and ministered to him. And so to the angels, the holy angels also minister to all of, all of you, all of us who have faith in Jesus. Again, Psalm 34 says, The angel of God encamps around all those who fear him and delivers him. The angel encamps around you. And so if the devil, who is merely one fallen angel, attacks us and we fight valiantly and we stand and attend to our vocation, whatever God has called us to do, well, many angels must come and minister to us, defend us, and protect us. And by God's command, their protection will stay on the horse. They will attend us and bring at last Abraham's side in the feast of heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be forevermore. Amen.